Okay, Amy Grant. Has anybody listened to Amy Grant? Yes, you're going to do one of Amy Grant's songs for us Sarah, soon, aren't you? We're looking forward to that. I love my Amy Grant stuff, uh, and particularly this song. God only knows the times my life was threatened just today. You want to sing it, Sarah? <laughs> Thank you. When the, when the enemy is closing in, God's got his angels watching over me. Thanks. That's great. Uh, and that's the point. Uh, God's got his angels watching over us. We say that flippantly without real giving it any real gravity. It's real. It's real. We're going to see this morning angels watching over the quintessential son of God. I'm going to mention sons of God a couple of times today. Please don't get offended, ladies, because in biblical terminology, you're not, you're not daughters. I'm sure you know that. In biblical terminology, you don't want to be a daughter. You're a son. The son is the heir. And it's incredibly important that you are sons, and God calls us all sons. I know you know, that might be difficult to get your head around, but you try and get your head around. What we've got to get our head around is that, is that we're married to Jesus. I mean, that's even harder to get your head around that one. So when I mention sons, it's, it's all-inclusive and, and it's, it's closer to what the Bible says. So look, that song by Amy Grant captures brilliantly something of what angels may well. We just don't see the detail, except we see some of the detail today in God's quintessential son, his only begotten son. I'm, I'm differentiating between God's sons, us, and God's only begotten son. And that term, that word in that famous verse that Graham quoted. And thank you, Graham. Good job, wherever you are with the kids. Good job, mate, if you listen to the sermon. Uh, uh, that word, it, it means it's God's, the one son that he's had for all of, all of eternity. A son without a beginning, his co-person alongside him. So we're in Matthew 2 again. We're going to look at verses 13 to 18, the latter verses. And our overarching heading is God's protective care. And our subheading, the life of baby Jesus. In fact, I've just been thinking, I should have changed that. The life of the child Jesus is in clear and present danger. You'll see why I say that later. Uh, the life of the child Jesus is in clear and present danger. So, just a very brief recap. The intellectuals of their day, the wise men, remember, these would have been extremely intelligent men. Come, they give their three gifts, which is remarkable. God's obviously. I mean, for them to discern from the Old Testament something of Jesus' death, you know, the fact that they gave him myrrh. It's, it's myrrh, it's not his frankincense. Which one or the other? I can't think just straight just now. But the fact that they did that is either divine revelation, and we've got no reason to think it was, you know, most probably they discerned, for them to discern from the old covenant that, that the Messiah was going to die was beyond anything any 
Israelite had deserved. Seriously, for them to discern that, no Israelite. And even when Jesus told them again and again and again, the Son of Man must die, no one could, could even comprehend it. For them to come to Jesus and to offer something to prepare him for death was immensely brilliant. And I, and I, I, I want to suggest it demonstrates the intellectual ability of these men that they saw that so deeply buried in the Old Testament. So, so, verse 13, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And now begins really what we're going to look at today. This frantic search to assassinate this child. And I don't know what you think when you read about this. Is it far-fetched? Remember, we're dealing with not legends. We're dealing with historical facts. And you, so you're asking, you've got to ask yourself, well, this sounds a bit far-fetched. I mean, would someone really do that? Hunt down a baby in this manner? Yeah, well, I think the question we're going to ask, Bron, is, well, depends, doesn't it? Would Greg hunt down a child that was a threat to his, you know, his, his inheritance from his mom and his dad? Yeah, probably. No, no, no. So it depends on the character, okay? <laughs> probably not, okay? What about Herod? What about Herod? Historians say he was a madman. An absolute neurotic person. He was so paranoid about his throne. He was killing people left, right and centre. We said last time, his, his own sister warns him about his wife, apparently how bad she is. He became so paranoid about this that he had her killed. He had her two sons killed. He had her mother killed. He had her grandfather killed. All because he thought his throne may be in danger. He changed his will three times in his latter life and killed his own son for fear that his son was going to steal his throne. He became that paranoid towards the end, that mentally unstable, he attempted suicide until eventually in 4 BC, we saw last time, he died. But even on, on, on his deathbed, he had hundreds of Jewish leaders ready set up for execution. So we're dealing with here. Not Greg. Herod. And so let me ask you the question again. Does it seem far-fetched that he'd want to assassinate this child because the Jews may follow him instead of follow the child instead of following him? Does that seem far-fetched? It doesn't, does it? All of a sudden you can see actually this is totally consistent with this madman who will stop at... If, if he's prepared to kill his own child... I mean, look, how many parents... We, most of us here are parents. I mean, that takes something, doesn't it? For someone to come to that state of mind. So it's not far-fetched. This is real history. And that is the backdrop to what we have here. Matthew 2, 1 to 12... We tell the Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They come to where they would naturally assume that a king will be born. They ask, where is the one 
born king of the Jews. And here's Herod's response, completely consistent with a madman. In Matthew 2, 3, when King Herod heard this, where, heard what? What was the part he was interested in? Where is one born? King of the Jews. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Look, the Greek here is a really strong word, taroso, okay? And here's what it means. It means to be unsettled, shaken. The thing is, I mean, that's a big state of mental state for someone to shift into, but not for him. It was a man who went in and out of being unsettled, shaken. You never knew if you would be next. And so here it is, unsettled, unshaken, and unsettled, shaken. And it's going to only go one way. For a madman who's assassinated his own kids, his wife, okay, this is only going to go one way. Jesus is to be put an end to. And so he begins, begins to concoct a plan. Okay. It obviously takes some thinking. Herod was... We were talking about the intelligence of the wise men. He hasn't got into that position because he was a dummy. We're dealing with a, a similarly clever, extremely intelligent man. And so in verse 4 we're told, When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked where the Christ child was to be born. And so he gets people investigating. And we're told, we're told that he discovers this. In 5 and 6, that he, they, they tell him he's to be born in Bethlehem, in Judea. Okay, not far from the capital. Okay, just 9 k's down the road in Bethlehem. So it's a, it's a particularly close threat. Bethlehem in Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, out of you will come a shepherd of my people, Israel. So just down the road. A king is to be born. And in verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Herod needs to know how old this child is. He's assuming from what he's heard from the wise men that the birth coincides with the appearance of the, of, of the star. So they tell him that gives him a reasonable time frame. We're not sure exactly how long but it's something like this. The wise men saw the star which triggered their search, which you'd assume would mean that when the star appeared, they began preparation. And I know today, you know, you can book a flight for EasyJet, or sorry, EasyJet. Um, that's, a, that's, that's from the motherland. What's the cheap airlines? Jet. Yeah, Jetstar. You can book a Jetstar flight, you know, this morning. You can, seriously, I'm pretty sure I haven't done it. And then be flying this Arvo and be on your way, you know, with just hand luggage. You know, this would have taken some preparation, some weeks, maybe some months. Then the journey, 2,000 kilometers across harsh desert on horseback, camelback, would have taken several months. So Jesus at this juncture is how old, roughly? At least one, you say. One, you know. 8 to, t eight to ten, eight to 12 months, 12 to 16 months. Uh, we're talking about an 8-month journey, roughly, and, and some preps, and maybe a year. So he's at least 8 months old, maybe a year and a half. What does that tell you? 
about where they find Jesus. Okay, I'm going to put it this way. Where do they not find Jesus? Yeah, he's not, they, don't, they don't go to the stable. I know in all our cards, and you know, I've, I've got, it's, it's on my backdrop, you can't see very well. Okay, uh, we cannot know one. Uh, we have this image, don't we, where the wise men turn up with the shepherds. No, Joseph and Mary have long left there. They're in some abode somewhere, and it's there that the star guides them to. And so that also tells us, doesn't it, that the star wasn't over the yeah, it wasn't over the manger either. I mean, we're not sure quite what kind of, how precise this direction is. Uh, maybe they're very close together. So here they are. The boy is no older than two, but no younger than eight months. That's the time frame. And hence, Herod's action, Matthew 2.16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years and under, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. And so Herod hedges his bets. He's taken an upper time limit. He's calculated how long these men would have travelled. He's taken an upper time limit of two years. And everybody, I mean, obviously the child wasn't just born, but Herod doesn't care. He has them assassinated too. So Jesus is a child. It's confirmed by verse 9, the Greek word there for child. Here's what Bidak. Bidak is, is, is the most comprehensive um, lexicon dictionary of the Greek that most Bible college students use. Um, and, and in it, he says, here's the word for it, uh, the, the Greek word here. It means a very young child up to seven years old. So Jesus is a child. Herod has all the kids killed their age because in verse 3, we're told he's disturbed. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. And we said they did that because they believed he was God. They opened their presents and presented him, them to him and then being warned by God verse 13 in a dream to go on an alternative way okay they go and we're told this is what comes to Joseph verse 13 get up take the child and his mother and and escape to Egypt stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him so an angel so the first sighting now. An angel was there at Jesus' birth, or just before he, he, he visited Mary. Now an angel here. Can you see what the angel is doing? And I want to draw some application from this at the end. The angel is assisting in the safekeeping of God's Son. An angel appears to get up because Herod is going to search for the child and then in 14 and 15 Joseph did the one thing Joseph was familiar with this wasn't he I ought to say that remember when he was concerned that this child wasn't his so it's not the first time he's been directed like this so here he is now he gets up he takes the child and his mother during the night verse 14 and 15 and he left for Egypt Egypt wasn't that far for them to travel from there. Remember, they're, they're already down south, so they've made most of the journey already. So, it's about 40k roughly to the border 
and, and a few extra K to the nearest Jewish settlement. And just like today, you had, you had a, sorry, what are people called who are moving uh, countries that, that, that have lost their home? Uh, refugees, thank you. Uh, that was a common situation back then. You had all these refugees in e Egypt back then. And here they are today. We could have got to a settlement to within 70 Ks, so a reasonably close distance. But here's what happens. They're in safety. The thing about Egypt is that, is that the kings of Israel's jurisdiction is restricted. It's a big country. It's got a huge population. And he has no idea where they are. He has no idea where they've gone. But Egypt would have been the most natural place for him to go. So when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, consistent with his nature. And he gave orders, as we've already said, to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, two years old and younger. It's a massacre. It's a form of genocide directed at little boys. It's an awful, awful thing. It's prophesied in the Old Testament using Rachel. As a, Rachel is a picture of Israel, or the mother of Israel, and she's a picture who's looking for a child. That is Matthew 2.18. There's only... I was thinking about this as I was writing this week. I don't know how to, the best way to put this without lessening the horrid nature of this. The only bit of grace in all of this slaughtering is that Bethlehem is a small place. Its population was probably as small as 300, maximum of 1,000 people. And so... Historians est estimate, it's the only saving grace, historians estimate that there may be, that just isn't a right word, 20, 20 or so youngsters, boys who would fit this, this age demographic. So he slaughters perhaps 20 children, leaves families with this incredible loss, injustice. And do you know... Do you know Here's the thing, I, I try not to be political when I talk, but Bible talks, but it's just, just a statement. You know, we get all let up by some, something that our government's done, you know, that's going to leave me two cents worse off. No one, there, would have been, there wouldn't have been any complaint about this. They dared not complain about this. Because it would have been off with their heads too. And so they put up with these dear families put up with this loss, this cruel slaying of children, all because of this madman. And again, you see, that, that may have sounded far-fetched to an average person on the street. Who would do that? Who would do that? Herod! He would. You read the history. You ask the historians. He would do that. And can you see how it, it adds weight, gravity, to this story? Like I said to you, we're not dealing with legends here, friends. Legends lack this kind of precision, this kind of verifiable historical data. You know, you know that sounds far-fetched. No, it doesn't. Nobody's talking about Herod. And so you can see, can't you, that we're dealing with, with real history. So he takes, he attempts to take our godson, ends up killing innocent children. And so finally, not long, within 
maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months, Herod gets his comeuppance in 4 BC. He, he's, he's driven so mad, okay, so mad that he tries to take his own life. When he fails that, he dies in torment and agony, historians said. It seems hardly fair, does it? You know, you put yourself in those family shoes, it seems hardly fair. And here's something I ought to say, it's not political, but it's a big statement, is that when atrocities are con committed by anyone out there, whether a Herod or some kid with a gun in a school, and then they shoot themselves because they think they've, they've dodged the law that judged, that judged justice. Hebrews nine, Hebrews nine twenty-seven. It's not on that man. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then to face judgment. And there ought to serve a warning, had it not to our world, that just by taking our lives after committing the most terrible atrocities there will be and, and this is what is meant to give us some solace there will be justice and I don't I'm, I'm sure you're not sitting there thinking oh you know well we know we just forgive them look if we're true if we if we're true with ourselves we all long for justice don't we it's the one thing that drives us up the wall, drives us to despair when we see injustice. Okay? Herod saw something of justice in his demise at the end, but that wasn't half of it. He stood before God and faced and will face ultimately the full gravity of his crimes against humanity. So, Matthew 2, 22. So they return and uh, by another word from an angel, okay, they, they withdraw. Look, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. He will be called a Nazarene. He'll be called a Nazarene. Look, uh, uh, this is, it may confuse you if you read the detail, details you know, with some thought, uh, when the angel tells them, you know, to, where to go. They were going there anyway because they lived in Nazareth. They were from Nazareth. I think the direction from the angel is just something more precise. So they returned to Nazareth, and here's something, again, it's not so obvious in the text, and, and he'll be called where he says this, uh, they went to live in the town called Nazareth, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Well, here's something for would-be critics of the Bible. There's not a single Old Testament verse in the Bible that says that. That verse. And so will be fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. There's not a single Old Testament verse from the prophets that say that. And so scholars have wondered, what exactly is he referring to? Because it's not a text. And if, you, if, you, if you're a critic, here's a bit of ammunition for you. See, the Bible contradicts itself. Except, here's, here's what theologians, scholars suggest it says, and it makes total sense. 
Nazareth was a backward place. Look, if I was comparing it to somewhere, you know, the down and out, the rough place, if I was comparing it to somewhere in Adelaide, somewhere like Athelstan, you know. <laughs> well, have you ever driven through it lately? Seriously, the petrol bomb your car. Don't go there, mate. Seriously. Okay, Athelstan. Uh, and uh, so, uh, and so, so the point being is that Nazareth had a reputation for being a backward, run-down, hard, tough place. And the type of people that lived there were, were, were backward, dejected, social misfits, the rejects of society. You don't get scholars or well-to-do people from Nazareth. It's that kind of place. It's, and, and, and what scholars are suggesting is that saying, it, it, it was a pervert, it was, it's not proverbial, well, yeah, it's proverbial. It was a saying that exists, you know, oh, he's a, Nazare- he's a Nazarene. You know, a bit like saying, he's an Athelstan, you know, you know to carry on the, 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 the thought. And, and, and so when he says he's a Nazarene, he's from a backwards place. Now, look, I've been joking about Athelstan. Athelstan's a really nice place, actually. Am I, am I am. I am. <laughs> I am. But I am jealous because I did grow up in a backwards place. Seriously. I grew up in a place, and there's a picture, just like Nazareth. And if some of our British friends are listening to this, it is true. I grew up in Friar Park, near Birmingham, in Friar Park in Wensbury. That's one of the streets. That's not my street. I couldn't find it. That's one of the streets. And it really had the reputation for being one of the worst places in the area. And my street, seriously, was the worst street in all of that area. Because I was living there. No, no, I was only a kid at the time. Okay, this is sort of seeing things we got up to. It was quite regular for, for cars to disappear and brand new cars appear that people clearly couldn't afford. You know, and I used to watch this. I remember once when, when I was in foster care. So this is where they put you in foster care in the UK. Seriously, you don't want to be in the state system. Uh, you know, uh, I'm in foster care. And the worst street in the whole of this area is because back then, the, the really, foster parents were in low amount. You, know, you just couldn't get them. Uh, and so here was one family bless them, in the worst possible street. I remember when we were going to build a wall, my foster parents, bless them, wanted to build a wall in our back garden. Guess where they got the bricks from? <laughs> the council had dropped off some bricks <laughs> in the square, we called it a square, we called this act, to build a wall. <laughs> we kids, no joke, we will, but let's collect it off of them for our wall. <laughs> Under instruction. I remember when I was playing, we used to play with these metal things that were about this long with a point in them at the front and a flat at the back that were metal. And we used to love throwing rocks at them because if you threw rocks at them hard enough, they would explode. Guess what they were? Bullets! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. This was a rough place, seriously. Okay. Hey, don't pick on me, mate. Okay, seriously, these muscles may be, may be small, but this brain knows how to get you back. Seriously. Seriously. So here I am. Yeah, so I wish I was born in Athelstan. Seriously, I do. And so, so when am I here? I am. So, 
that that's what he means. Jesus really. And, and, it, and, and it doesn't shouldn't surprise us, should it? Because he is born in a stable, in a backwards place, and he's raised in one of the most backward places. You know, you know can, can anything good, remember? Um, I forget his, the, the disciple's name. Yeah, yes, can, because he really had that stigma. And again, it's beautiful, isn't it? That our God, it is beautiful. That our God should choose to dwell and to, to grow in that environment. Jesus saw firsthand, not by visiting the den and house. Jesus saw firsthand because he grew up with them, the despise of society. It's, it's, it's why he says he was a man who was despised. He, he, he took after them. He lived like them. He represented them. And he pursued them, didn't he? And showed mercy to them. Because he grew up in their environment. And so, here he is. He'll be called a backwards person from a place that's despised. And so ultimately and finally, here we are, the life of child Jesus, though it's in clear and present danger, God intervenes through angelic appearance and foils Herod's plans and saves a baby. And in the end, it's Herod who falls first. And look, there's three brief points I want to take from this. Firstly, you are God's son. And I want you to remember that. We forget that. We, we forget what the scriptures say, and I'm sure I'll go to this somewhere, yes, in a minute. You are God's son. Remember that. And God thinks no less of you. We're gonna, I'm going to show that. The verse is in a couple of texts. So I'll, get it in a, in, I'll get to it in a bit, Malachi. But let me just say it here. God does not think any less of you than he does his only begotten son. And that's the wonderful thing about God and his nature. He doesn't differentiate. He gives you the full weight, the full blessing, the full regard of his own son. In fact, he does this for you, Stephen. This is how much regard he has for you. He gives up his own son for you. That's not even equal regard, is it? That means he favoured you, Stephen, above his own son. And so in God's care for you, we have to understand that. That God gives us preference. If God gave you preference over his only begotten son, your life is a picture and an example and an illustration of God's care. Don't ever forget that. And I may not always look like that. And you may be thinking, my life doesn't represent that. Look at it, it's a mess. It is. And your life is not a mess. You see, it's a mess because you and I, you and I don't have foresight. Our lives look a mess because you and I can't see beyond our noses, can we? We have no idea what God is doing with us. We have no idea how the pieces fit together. We have no idea how that was essential to that. You are God's son. And you have his full commitment and care. And here's what Jesus says to you. I'm surely 
I am with you to the very end of the age. He is walking with you. You are never alone. You have never been alone. And I don't want you to think, think of your Christian walk like this, your Christian journey. Oh, I used to walk alone, and then I came to faith, and God started walking with me. No! How long has God been with you? You've never been alone, Sarah. You've never had a day alone in all your existence. When you were being woven together and knit together in your mother's womb, who was watching you? You've never been alone. Never. Jesus reminds us of that. He says it in Hebrews. It's not in the text. Hebrews 13, I think. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You remember that? Whatever this year has been like for you, however distant God may have seemed, you have never, never been alone. Number two, because you're God's son, 1 Peter 5, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It is not point talking to me about your ills because I don't care. I do, I do, and, and please. But I can't do a lot for you, can I? I listen, I just sit there. If you're wondering why I'm dumbfounded when you're speaking to me, because I can, all I can do is pray for you, and I do pray for you. I could do pray more. Pray is the hardest thing of my ministry. But carry on sharing, because I do pray for you. Hey, buddy, if you cast your care on God, and if you share with him, and you throw everything on him, he promises to take care of you because he cares for you. He cares for you, and here's a verse, Galatians 3. He cares for you because you are all sons of God. And the one I haven't got in there, it's Romans, uh, Romans 8, I think. I think it's Romans 8. Uh, you, are, uh, you are sons and therefore heirs and co-heirs with God's Son. And so, hey, talk to God. And as you, know, you might think with God, I don't need to talk to God because He knows everything. He does! But you know, you know, you know when I pick my our kids up from school, I know what they've done at school. But I like to hear them tell me. And the first thing we do in the car, before they have anything else, is tell me their day. Because it's actually really nice listening to them. Talk to God. A part of that casting your care with him is sitting down with him, talking to him. Go for a walk. That works best with me. If you see me out for a walk, please don't talk to me. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, it's it, because I'm trying to talk to God. And it takes me half an hour just to, just to get my head, in, head into gear. And I normally, it's only the, normally, I have an hour walk. I try to do an hour a day. It's only the last 15 minutes, the last 10 minutes, I begin to talk. I spend the first bit just trying to get in tune with God, connect with God, feel his presence. Sometimes listen to a song. Hey, talk to him. He loves to hear your voice. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And the last thing, and I'm going to close with this, the last thing is this verse from, one, from Hebrews 1. It's the one that kind of it fits best with that passage, the application. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve 
those who will inherit eternal, inherit salvation. Yes, Simeon. Simeon, it's lovely having you. And, and it's great you met all the journey away here. Lovely to see you. Simeon, from what I know of him, well, is, is someone who's going to inherit eternal life. And therefore, Simeon, you are assured that there's angels, as you are, Greg, and Sid, and Lorraine, and Charlie, and well, and 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 and, uh, uh, and Denise, <laughs> okay. God's angels. When you read that account of Jesus and how an angel appears and, and directs and steers Joseph on more than one occasion, I want you to be aware, God wants you to be aware that as, as his sons and the text supports it, that you have angelic protection and support and guidance. Look, I don't think they have wings. Who knows? Who knows? Who, who cares? But they're real. And they're on your case. And you may never see them but they're built on your case the whole, your whole time. And occasionally you may, you may not even know it. Sometimes you, may have sometimes you may have walked past one in the street and given them a meal and not known he's smiling because he knows who you are. Because he's been walking on your journey and he's taken this one moment to express himself, manifest himself physically. Sometimes you've entertained them unaware. Seriously, go and keep buying bags of chips every time you see someone begging on the street. <laughs> who knows? Never despise those who look a bit strange. Remember my friend in the UK who met an angel? He looked like a tramp. Okay? Come on, get me a bag of chips. <laughs> okay? So, hey, you've got God's support. Angelic support. Your back is covered. I think that's the point here. Your back is covered. And therefore, like the song, like the song words back up, please. Right at the end. Like the song. Here's a reality. I don't think this is exaggerated. I don't think this is exaggerated. Okay. Here's the thing. The devil wants you dead. I don't want to scare you. But it's true, okay? He wants you gone. Here's a strong word. And it's completely consistent with the Bible. He hates you. Who knows? How many cars missed you on the way to church because of angelic protection? Who knows? Who knows how many accidents you have avoided? Because for some reason you were delayed, distracted for one second. You know, I once had a car crash when I was 19. And you know, I kept thinking, I kept thinking, if I was a split second delayed, it wouldn't have happened. He would have just taken a split-second delay in where I was with that car, and I would have missed the car in front of me. I've just learned to drive, just got my license, and crashed it. What do you know? Okay? But a split-second. Who knows the next time? And, you know, next time you're delayed, a split-second delay, something's delayed you, instead of getting all et up and frustrated, think to yourself, I wonder if that will ha would have had massive ramification. Who knows? Who knows how many... People have tried to wound you. All I know is day and night, though the enemy is closing in, God's got his angels watching over you. Hey, you're God's son. And just like his one and only son, his care is over your life. Go with that.